X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Monday, June 1st, after a difficult weekend. Peaceful protests turned into vandalism at the edges. Businesses spent Saturday boarding up windows. And last night was our second night of an 8 p.m. community-wide curfew, with more protesters than the previous nights. We'll start with a reflection from Rakaia Adams, co-founder of Albina Vision, from Sunday afternoon's city press conference. It will take us years, decades, maybe even lifetimes, to unpack what has happened here. But we cannot wait for the clarity of tomorrow to take care of each other today. And today, what doesn't sit well with me, what's not sitting well in my heart, is that in the face of staggering, persistent, and inhumane justice, the focus of the public story has been diverted to miscreants and disorder. So this I ask of you, black Portlanders, let's see this differently. Let's speak of it differently. Because broken windows may be factual, but they are not the whole truth. Likewise, expressions of rage and pain, they may be visible, but they are not our whole truth. More than expressions of rage, what has happened since Mr. Floyd's murder is a deep expression of love, a love that transcends state boundaries, a love that goes far beyond familial name. We cry out because we have the courage to open our eyes and our hearts to listen to George Floyd's call for his mother as he was suffocated on a public street in broad daylight. Loving that hard takes courage. Today, back in the day, was the end of the Tulsa race massacre, 99 years ago. Maybe you learned about it from watching The Watchmen, not the comic book or the movie, but the HBO TV show starring Regina King. Or maybe you just know it from actual horrific history. During the Tulsa race massacre, some call it the Tulsa race riot, which occurred over 18 hours from May 31st to June 1st in 1921. A white mob attacked residents, homes, and businesses in the predominantly black Greenwood neighborhood of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It remains one of the worst incidents of racial violence in U.S. history, and one of the least known. News reports were largely squelched. After World War I, most of Tulsa's 10,000 black residents lived in a neighborhood called Greenwood, which included a thriving business district sometimes referred to as Black Wall Street. Following an alleged assault on a woman, a black teenager was arrested. Following rumors of a lynching, a group of about 75 armed black men went to protect him. 1,500 white men, including KKK members, arrived as well. As dawn broke on June 1st, thousands of white citizens poured into Greenwood, looting and burning homes and businesses over an area of 35 city blocks. Firefighters were threatened to stay away and not put out the fires lest they get shot themselves. According to a Red Cross estimate, over 1,200 houses were burned. Another 215 were looted. Two newspapers, a school, a library, a hospital, churches, hotels, stores, and many other black-owned businesses were destroyed. After the massacre, the charges against the teenager were dropped for lack of evidence. And the history was hidden. The Tulsa Tribune took out from the archives the May 31st front-page story that sparked the chaos. Police and state militia archives went missing as well. And until recently, the Tulsa race massacre was rarely mentioned in history books or taught in schools. So before we lose the context in the midst of some spray paint and broken windows, let's remember our history. Today on The Local, your quick six news headlines, and I'll try to keep them quick, to make room for two other things. A focused conversation with Nakenge Harmon Johnson, president and CEO of Urban League, and an interview with Portland City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty with an inside view of how she was the mayor Friday night and the decision to call a community-wide curfew. 
the significant damage that was done in Portland wasn't done by Portlanders. It was done by white nationalists that infiltrated our peaceful marches and started disruption. First up, it is today's Quick Six Local Rundown. Sunday marked the third day of protests in Portland and nationwide in response to the death of George Floyd, Minnesota black man who died earlier this week at the hands of police leading to a murder charge. The first night of protests were marked by fires set in the Multnomah County Justice Center and damage to high-end stores in downtown. In a statement, Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, who was acting mayor when the mayor was out of town, asked for the curfew, said she understood the concerns that a curfew could lead to over-policing. The intent, she wrote, was to give a chance for protesters to refocus. And she told X-Ray on the numbers in our interview that she feared the damage was being caused largely by white males, including white supremacists, following a pattern of peaceful protests around the country, followed by vandalism as the nights have gotten later. Your daily dose of data, lest we forget, we are in the middle of the global pandemic. Happy 2020. We do love you. We are going to stick with this, and we will get through all of this. The Oregon Health Authority reported 58 new confirmed presumptive cases of the coronavirus. The state's known total of cases to 4243, and the known COVID-19 deaths standing at 153. In Washington, Governor Jay Inslee announced on Friday he would not extend the state's stay-at-home order. That order expired Sunday night. Washington will now allow counties more flexibility to apply to advance through the four-stage reopening plan. With the addition of two more counties on Thursday, 26 of Washington's 39 counties are currently approved for phase two. And starting today, any Washington county can apply to advance the next phase and to add new business activity. A key target is whether counties have had fewer than 25 cases per 100,000 residents over a two-week period. As we talked about last week, Kay Erickson was made director of the Employment Department by Governor Kate Brown in 2016 after concerns of an updated computer system. As we have talked about just about since the launch of the local, the Employment Department has been unable to keep up with historic flood of unemployment claims amid concerns of an outdated computer system. And now Kay Erickson herself has resigned upon Governor Kate Brown's request on Sunday. The Employment Department has received more than 445,000 applications for benefits since March 15th. They have processed, as of Friday, 245,000 people. That leaves about 200,000 people. For a little historical context, from Jane Cease with the DMV computer system back in the 90s to Eric Sten with water billing in 2000 to the cover Oregon lawsuits in 2014 to 2015, challenges with government computer systems have discomfited Oregon before. Erickson will be replaced by David Gerstenfeld in the interim. Gerstenfeld had run the department's paid family and medical leave insurance division. Oregon Republicans are going to try again to recall Governor Kate Brown. And they're not alone. There are two other efforts to try to do the same thing. And with multiple efforts mounting, some voter confusion is a concern among the Republicans. The Republican Party thinks they can mount the signature campaign needed using an app to verify voter registration and reduce duplicate signatures. The magic number, 280,050 signatures will need to be gathered in 90 days, all while social distancing. I suspect we'll report again on that. In recent months, the city of Portland has stopped clearing homeless camps due to COVID-19. Citing public health concerns of moving people in a time of crisis and the potential spread of the virus, the city had slowed clearing campsites. Now it looks like the clearing will resume. A city spokeswoman said this week the camps have grown so large, it's now time for the city to disband some of them for safety reasons. As Multnomah County moves towards phase one reopening, there are concerns about businesses reopening and sidewalks not being accessible due to homeless camps. Public Health Officer Jennifer Vine said we're trying to deal with the least bad approaches to the housing crisis. It has not yet been made clear where these people are supposed to go after they've been cleared. We will continue to bring updates as this develops. There is a moment here, folks. How each of us use it is up to each of us. 
There are a bunch of organizations in Portland fighting systemic racism, most of them on shoestring budgets. You can support organizations like the Portland NAACP, Urban League of Portland, Kairos PDX, the Black Lives Matter Portland Chapter, Generational Resistance PDX, and Don't Shoot Portland. You can also donate to the GoFundMe for the PDX Protest Bail Fund. It covers bail and other expenses for Portland protesters arrested while demonstrating. You can volunteer, you can donate, you become a sustaining member, you can support those organizations. You can do it vocally, you can do it online, and you can follow up. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Thanks, Jefferson. First up, a conversation with Nakinge Harmon Johnson, President and CEO of the Urban League. Nakinge shares her thoughts on moving from reflection to action with DJ Ambush and Jefferson Smith. The Urban League of Portland is one of Oregon's oldest civil rights and social service organizations, empowering African-Americans and others. I'm DJ Ambush, the numbers and of X-Ray FM. We're joined by Nikenga Harmon-Johnson, President and CEO of the Urban League, to talk about the week's events, the weekend's events, and what might be next. I won't repeat what Nikenga said off air. I'll let her repeat that. We'll use whatever language she wants to use. But I am Jefferson Smith with X-Ray FM, and welcome, Nikenga. Uh, thanks, Jefferson, and I welcome you to my home. I feel like you're, you're here with me. <laughs> Nikenge, you co-hosted and appeared at the Eulogy for Black America on Friday, long before the nighttime activities uh, <laughs> popped off. Uh, this is not the first time our country has dealt with police brutality, or as I like to call it, state-sanctioned terrorism. How do you feel this is any different from the past incidents? Uh, do I feel like this occasion is, is any different? What we're well, at least the reaction, yes. Oh, the, I mean, the reaction, uh, you know, part of it is pent up frustration related to, you know, um, the pandemic that we're all suffering through. I mean, people's stress levels are already here. Uh, their levels of fear are already here. Um, and then, of course, you know, another part of it is uh, this has happened again. And at some point, there is a there's a boiling point. There is a tipping point. And frankly, you know, every decade or so. Right. Don't don't our cities catch on fire over racial injustice. Sure. So maybe that's that's a part of it, too. Maybe it's a third, a third, you know, and a third. Social media was filled. And for those folks who went downtown on Saturday, uh, you, you go to the daytime event on Friday. And there was a Friday nighttime event. Uh, and social media was filled with images of the aftermath of those nighttime protests. Where do you want the attention to be directed right now? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm glad that people are doing what they need to do during this time uh, to feel something. Um, and what I mean by that is it's real easy to get numb, right? I, I, some, I, you know, I, I couldn't feel my chest the other day on Friday when we were um, um, having the eulogy. Uh, it's just, but it had been aching for days before that. Um, so I get the, the people want to come together to do something. And most people are coming together in vigils and eulogies and, and remembrances and demonstrations and work sessions, um, you know, to do something positive uh, and, and, of course, peaceful. Um, and some other people aren't. Um, now, whether some of those folks, it is their plan and their mission um, to distract a movement, I believe that. Um, and there may be some other folks who are Say out more about that. Say, say more about that. That feels important. Okay, so, you know, um, we've got a fusion center in Oregon, so I'm hoping that they'll be saying more about that, that the FBI and uh, state um, and federal law enforcement will be talking uh, about um, the organized white supremacist, uh, you know, militia 
um, who have been practicing in our cities, particularly in Portland, uh, to cause disruption. And we've heard in Oakland, we've heard in Minneapolis, we've heard in other cities where there's uh, unrest that damage um, has been carried out um, by these organized uh, folks who are white supremacists, not actually um, uh, there for the movement for the protest, but to you know tear stuff up. And off fair, before we started, uh, the when we we're asking, hey, what's most important to you to get in on? You were making pretty clear that just talking about feelings, just talking about kind of where we're at, isn't enough. So listen. <laughs> Uh, the eulogy was important because it let people come together. The gatherings were important because it let people come together. But that's neighbors and friends and folks like, you know, um, uh, uh, like, like my mom and whatnot. It's not people who are in power who can cut checks, right? I, I want them to feel what they need to feel and then get to work. If you run a bank, I appreciate your sentiments, but cut a check. If you're elected to office, listen, it matters that you feel something. You felt something the last time and the time before that and the time before that. And you were in office all of those times. So now show me a policy. Don't show me more of your feelings because I don't want to do this again. I don't want to do this again. So that's what I want folks focused on. So you mentioned a little earlier that, you know, around the time of the eulogy, your heart, your heart collectively, I believe all of our hearts are aching for days. Uh, where do you find the strength and focus to move from that position of, you know, the group sorrow to getting active and, and, and leading? You know, um, I will speak for myself first and then more broadly for others who are trying to figure out what the answer is for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm lucky to be the president of the Urban League of Portland um, at this time and at other times uh, because we do great work and we help people and also because when the worst is happening and people are looking for what to do, what, how can they help? I can just go to work. This is what I do all the time. Every single day I am beating this drum, working on these issues. And it's great when other folks wake up and come together to join me. We'll have some more Urban League members now. Um, we'll probably get a few more da- donations in and people reaching out to say, hey, how can I help? And that's dope, I'm glad they're here. But this is what me and my team do every day. So, I'm glad for that though, because I'm not spinning. I'm not, you know, what do I do? How do I help? I, I do what I've been doing and I do um, more of it. I work every day um, during the pandemic. I guess I've worked yeah, mostly six out of seven days um, actively. Uh, and then other things, writing and t- you know, taking care of messages and, and whatnot. This is just, you know, what it is right now. So you add on the layer of these demonstrations, um, add on the layer of the reason for the demonstrations. We were already looking for resources for black people. Right. And now perhaps we'll have some help. For other people, they can be that help. If you're wondering how do you find the energy, the strength to do, you, you've got to let what this is in your chest out. You've got to give your ch- yourself a chance to, to, to release that tension. And the way to do it is to get in the work. What words do you have for people that um, are kind of pushing back, people within our community specifically, that are kind of pushing back on the rebellion, kind of telling these kids, these younger members that are out here active, hey, don't don't burn down those targets. Just just everyone go home and be safe. First of all, uh, on Target specifically, Target has some must have some black shot collars. I know they do at a couple of levels because they come to the National Urban League Conference and I've seen them. Well, they oh. must be listened to because Target put out a statement that said, we're going to be all right and justice and went on back where target should be um which is behind the scenes and hopefully cutting checks um so the target one i think is funny because they're like no no don't don't put us in that we didn't (laughs) complain at all (laughs) 
It's all good, y'all. Justice. Um, I'm interested to see, though, uh, you know, Starbucks and uh, and banks, Chase Bank and Bank of America and whatnot. Uh, We'll hear what Jamie Dimon says this time. But Jamie, cut another check, dude, and like a lot more of them. Um, uh, (laughs) I think ambush, and as I, you know, think about what some folks are saying related to unrest and rebellion. um, It's for me. It's it's um, folks can say what they want to say. Right now, we're all entitled. Certainly black people are entitled to say what they want to say right now, mm. feel how they want to feel right now. And we're, we don't all have to agree. That's racist. I don't have to agree with you. You don't have to agree with me. Your mom, my dad, your who, whatever. We get to have a variety of opinions about things and say what we want to say. Uh, and I'm okay with that. And we also get to do a variety of you know, actions and do what we want to do. Um, I don't have to feel any kind of way about people saying that. Um, what I have said to some folks is like, I was like, listen, black people, I want you safe. I want you rested. You, 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 your, your chest hurts like my chest hurts. You have woken up, you know, at some time this week and just couldn't breathe and just so sad and just so mad. Like, I want you to do whatever you need to do, black people. And if that means staying home, please stay home. You don't have to be out in the streets. We've been in them streets and your mama was in them streets and your grandmother and your great auntie and your great great and your great. This is, if you need a minute, take a minute. I'm cool with that. <laughs> so for me, it's not, hey, black people don't be out there, you know, protesting and demonstrating. I'm never tell people that, like, please do that. For me, it's if you choose not to do it, that's fine. And if it's for your safety or some other reason, I'm, that's perfectly acceptable to me. Um, also knowing what we talked about sort of earlier, um, that there are people in the streets who are seeking, who wish us ill. We see all the reporters, right? The journalists who are being, uh, you know, um, beaten up and shot at and are, you know, just treated terribly by the police. Okay, well, if they're doing journalists like that, let me be real clear about what they do to black people, even when the cameras are on, right? We know that they're not playing out here. So if you're not ready for that, take it on back to the house. And also remember, while there are white people to your left and to your right, especially in Portland, and Eugene and in Salem, right? The three of the cities that have, have come alive, those white people will be treated differently by the criminal justice system in that moment on that street and throughout that process. I mean, that's why you're fighting, right? That's why you're there. Um, but there are very real ramifications for people in their own individual lives. And it's hard that you even have to think about that because you should be able to raise your fish in righteous indignation in front of your state capital without being worried that that is gonna put you on the ground while your good girlfriend who's white is gonna be standing there screaming for them to get off of you because she was doing the exact same thing. It's hard to know that, but it's true. I wanna finish just by saying thank you that I know that uh, when it's, as a, as a leader of an organization like the Urban League, when times are scarier, when things are personally, not just organization, but personally, uh, more uh, emotional, potentially more dangerous, uh, when there are all sorts of reasons that would lead a human being to take a step backwards or to take a rest or to take a moment to ask for uh, additional support that so often you are called into service, into more service at that very time. And so even for this time, I thank you for spending some of that time with us and just really appreciate it. If there's any closing word you have, leave us with it. But I'll just, I just want to close by saying thank you. Jefferson, Ambush, I appreciate you for inviting me. Um, This was fun uh, in the sense that I love to talk policy and nerd out about this stuff, and I'd be happy to come back sometime. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Katanga. Thank you. 
Next up, an interview with Portland City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty with DJ Ambush and Jefferson Smith. With the mayor out of town, the longtime organizer and city commissioner found herself as acting mayor this weekend. Listen in on what happened and how she made the decision to declare a curfew. Also, her recommendations for protesting, because protesting is important. Commissioner Hardesty is the newest member of the city council, although about not to be the newest member. There are a bunch of races happening right now. She's the commissioner for Portland Fire and Rescue, the Bureau of Emergency Management, and the Bureau of Emergency Communications, all of which are highly relevant right now. Commissioner, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I just turned down my uh, fire radio so that it wouldn't be distracting in the background. (laughs) In your house right now, in your house right now, you have an alert in case something happens? Oh, I'm always on the fire and rescue scanner just because I need, I need, you know, when something bad is happening, I want to know as soon as possible. Has that thing been jumping off over the last 48 hours? Uh, Yes, which is why I ended up downtown on Friday night when I was just about to go to bed. All of a sudden, I heard this uh, call for four stations to send fire engines, which made me know something big was going on. And I flipped on my TV. I saw a riot had been declared. I knew the mayor was out of town. And I was the mayor because I am the presiding officer now when the mayor is out of town. And so I called the fire chief, she came and got me and off I went downtown. Whoa. So what were the first things you had to do other than going off downtown? Once you're downtown, what did you have to mess with? Well, the first thing I had to do was just kind of go and get briefed on what was taking place. So all the way downtown, I was listening to both the fire scanner and the police scanner. And let me tell you, when I, as soon as we pulled up to station one, uh, I heard over the police radio, Use the level of force necessary. And I went, oh my gosh, this is being serious, right? Um, so then I went inside. Uh, and so in the fire um, command center, I could both see TV screens. I could hear uh, police uh, radio monitoring their communication as well as monitoring fire communication. And so I was in a place where I could see where, what was happening with fire, what was happening with police, and then what the community was seeing from the TV stations. So I had a really good view when I first got there. And, and what guidance do they look to from you? A lot of these are protocols that are already built, scenarios that have already yes. been planned, rules they've already got. Uh, at what point and at what ways are you engaging at that time? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a smart leader lets the experts do their thing. What I know about fire and rescue and Portland Police is that in emergencies, they operate like a well-oiled machine, right? So a good leader goes in and asks for a briefing and just observes, right, and asks questions. I don't go in saying, okay, here's what you need to do. But after being there for about an hour, I ask the question, why aren't we just closing this down, right? We are still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, We are not supposed to have people in large crowds anywhere that don't have masks on. Why don't we just close this down? And the answer I got was, well, the mayor has to declare uh, a curfew, right? Um, I said, okay, let's do it. (laughs) And I was told, well, the mayor has to do it. I went, I am the mayor, do it, right? So within a half hour, it was done. Of course, the curfew didn't go into effect at that time, because it was because it was down by now, that we're talking, you know, one o'clock in the morning, one thirty in the morning. So, but what we knew was if people were doing this on Friday night, 
they were going to keep doing this, right? If we did not put some stop measures in place. And so that was when I made the decision, we need to do a curfew. And then of course the question becomes, is it just downtown or is it all across the city? Right? And my gut said all across the city, right? Because if we just did it downtown, we would be accused of just protecting businesses downtown. Right? And so it's a lot different being on this side than being the advocate that I've been for a long time, right? So my job, if I'm good at my job, my job is to listen to the experts, observe what's going on, and make recommendations that I think make sense based on what I'm hearing. What are you hearing now that the curfew was in place? Uh, what, you know, what, what's, what's been the reaction? Yeah, we all got it on our phones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, I, it's been mixed reactions, right? Uh, there are some people who see this as a power play by the mayor uh, to just lock people down, right? Um, and not let them exercise their right. Uh, there are people that said, thank you. We appreciate the fact that you took quick action and you're being really clear about the necessity for people to not be on the street past 8 p.m. Um, I'm begging, especially black and brown people, to please stay home. Please stay home. Because it is my belief that the, the significant damage that was done in Portland wasn't done by Portlanders. It was done by white nationalists that uh, infiltrated our peaceful marches and started disruption. And we were not the first city that happened. And this is happening all over the country. And quite frankly, I'm old enough uh, to remember that uh, the FBI and local police infiltrated the NAACP during the height of the civil rights movement. And so these uh, prov provocateurs come into peaceful protests with the intent of disruption and creating chaos. And at the end of the day, who gets blamed for it? It's the black and brown people that get blamed for it. But as I was watching that video, I didn't see any black and brown people pick up scooters and put them through glass windows. I didn't see any black and brown people actually uh, uh, beating up people on the street uh, downtown. I didn't see that. It may have happened, but I didn't see it. Most of the people I saw involved in really uh, destructive behavior and activity were young white men who I'm pretty sure don't even live here because uh, Jefferson, you and I have been to a bazillion marches over the time we've known each other, right? And we don't know all the normal protesters, but we can pretty much recognize no, them by face, right? I mean, I'm watching for hours and not seeing anybody I know. When I and this and, and thank you, Commissioner, because you and I both been attending to, sometimes engaging in activism for a couple decades. Yes. And when none of the people yes. in our networks yes. have any direct relationship with any of the people who are doing that kind of stuff, yes. it gives me the same sort of nervousness, the same sort of impression you have. Yes. Well, I never go to a protest unless I know who's organizing it mm. or if I'm organizing it, because I will never go to a protest. It is not about nonviolent direct action, speaking truth to power. I never organize a protest that isn't family friendly, where you can bring your kids and you can bring your grandma, right? The, the, to me, that's how we protest. I, you know, I'm a kid of the 60s. So, you know, I, I, and I know that we have to be disciplined because your life depended on it in the 60s. If you weren't disciplined, you were dead. You didn't make it home. 
right? That's why we put on our Sunday best and we sung church songs and we were polite because we know that standing up for our rights is dangerous in this country, right? Uh, and so when I see protests that I can't tell who organized it, there are no people names, there are no contacts on it, that sends all kind of warning signs for me. And I hope you can help with this program to educate the public that all protests aren't good protests. Just because somebody say that they're standing up for the rights of black lives doesn't mean they really are. And we have an obligation as community members to know who we're aligning with, because I, I absolutely believe, and I've talked to the police who actually have data that shows that yes, there are white nationalists and white supremacists that were actually um, part of the destruction downtown. And I've talked to uh, communities all across the country who are saying the exact same thing, right? I believe, I believe, and nobody has confirmed this, but in my heart, I believe that this is an organized effort by 45 to stop the election so that he can be emperor for life. We're getting told that you got to go and ambush will close us out. But okay. I want to at least ask you to give a plug for the reforms you're trying to make happen on first response to make sure there's mental health expertise, not only armed response when there's That's something right. happening on the street. A very quick plug for that and then ambush, take us wherever you think we need to go. Let me just say that um, I am so happy that the city council continues to support Portland Street Response, which is a model of first responders for people on our street who need help. Uh, and the criteria, and it will be a pilot project that will start in the Lynch neighborhood. As soon as a stay-at-home order is lifted, we will start putting those pieces in place. This pilot will help us reform our whole um, um, community safety approach, right? We keep sending the wrong first responders, but I am committed and the mayor is committed to sending the right responder to the right incident at the right time. And Portland Street Response has still been funded, even with the drastic cut in the city's budget, which means that we are committed to making sure that we have the full array of first responders. And Portland Street Response will have a medic and a, a qualified mental health professional as a two-person team going out, helping our community be safe where they are. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. I could talk to you both all day long because you know these <laughs> issues are near and dear to my heart. Uh, but just know my last message is please be safe. Please stay home um, and take care of yourself and your family. We will come back together when we can and public yes. we can be one-on-one, -on -one, but I am committed to making sure that in my time on city council, no matter how short or long it is, uh, it's going to be a lot different when I leave. I came here to do this work and I am grateful that I am, I am able to do this work. Even in this hard time, I am in the right place and I appreciate the support from X-Ray and uh, your listeners. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, you've heard it. Please run this episode back a couple of times. There was a lot in here. Take notes, get out there, be active. Thank you so much for your time, Commissioners. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a great evening. We want to end today's episode with comments from Kelly Thorne Ladd, co-founder and executive director of local youth organization Kairos PDX, from this weekend city press conference held at Self Enhancement. Uh, as I thought about my remarks this morning, all I could see were my children, my eight-year-old son and my 11-year-old daughter, and the wondering of what does all of this look like through their eyes. I see their beauty and innocence, their intellect and brilliance, and I wonder how and when the world will snatch that away from them. 
And then my head begins to spin. I'm not just a mom, I've devoted my life and career to children. And I'm always palpably aware of their presence. I know they are watching what we do and what we don't do. They're watching what we say and what we don't say. Every moment is instructive to children. And they are listening for something. And if they only hear silence, their heads are filled with noise. And this noise can be fear, it can be depression, it can be complacency, it can be grief. And while, like Brother Herndon said, I don't condone the looting or the vandalism, I know that it is a symptom and not a problem. And I know that for me, it personifies how I feel inside. And I wonder sometimes if this is an opportunity to help my children see this. That as wrong as it may be, it is a symbol of our shattering, our devastation, our internal beating every time we see a life lost like George Floyd. George Floyd called out to his mother. His cry reaches the heart of all of us moms. And we see our sons and daughters, and we are in shambles. But I do think there is hope. And I think there is hope because I come from a people who carry hope across generations. A people who, despite devastation and terrorization and oppression, have written spirituals that lift this whole nation up in hope. A people that have strengthened the very fiber of our being, even when forces are taking away our breath. The next generation is watching us. Let us not disappoint. Let us love one another and show a new day for racial justice. If you have story ideas, you have organizations or people who need shouts out, send us an email at the local at xray.fm. We will remember this moment in history, and we will remember how we use this moment. Let's use it to get better. As I sit here, I'm so grateful to you who listen and so grateful to learn from our guests as we all work to get some perspective on 2020. Thank you for being part of this community as we try to learn together. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.